1: This is the Get Booked podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode one hundred and thirty, and we are recording on May first. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, hello. Oh, jinx! That was a nice, <laughs> that was a nice, <laughs> How soothing, up, very
0: soothing <laughs> episode today. Do we ever have like yes. we don't really do s- soothing. that's not Not so much not so much (laughs) (laughs) speaking of not soothing what
1: are you reading I'm looking at the agenda right now like (laughs) yeah no neither of my uh, not my reading certainly wasn't soothing Mm. what about yours oh
0: well I have a lot of feelings about it
1: (laughs) I just finished it so like
0: I mm. okay should I just go okay so I finished a conjuring of light which is the third book in the shades of magic series by V.E. Schwab um, and... Ah... Uh, <laughs> like, I'm doing that face that... Um, what's her name? Oh, my gosh. From Parks and Rec. That Leslie Note makes when she finds out that What's-His-Name is about to propose to Anne. That, like... Uh, uh. yeah. Um, So, like, the it's it's satisfying as a final book in a trilogy, right? Like, you want all of your T's to be crossed and your I's to be dotted mm-hmm. and everything to be wrapped up nicely. And that is fine. And all that... It just... It just I really disliked the only female character. And I have a lot of weird feelings about that. You know, like I'm questioning myself, was like, is it just me? Does she just have traditionally coded masculine traits that I don't like? But really I just think she's kind of a Mary Sue. Hmm. Which is this is the first time I've ever experienced a female character where I've been like, Oh, that's what a Mary Sue is <laughs> <laughs> You know? I don't know. I maybe I'm gonna sit with it. I'm gonna sit with it. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. And maybe by tomorrow I'll be like, No, nah, I was just being dumb. That it was great. It, I don't know. I don't, I just, uh, it's so entertaining, but I'm very, mm-hmm. pi- I just, I'm picking at it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm,
1: anyway, mm-hmm, that's where I, I am.
0: Come tell me your shades of magic feelings. Cause it's a beloved series, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, people love it. And I, I liked it. I just, I, don't know. I need time. Okay.
1: What about you? <laughs> Uh, I I, I finally, well, finally, it's only been out for a little bit, but I feel like everybody else has already read it. But I read Heartberries by Therese Marie Myatt, um, which is a very sort of spare, sparse, I guess it's technically a memoir, but to be perfectly honest, this felt more like an essay collection to me than a memoir. Um, the The chapters are very sort of separate. I mean, they have through lines, but anyway. I'm quibbling about the marketing. <laughs> this category. is all we're doing. I we're don't quibbling know why. about these books. <laughs> I mean, but I really I thought it was I thought it was really incredible. Um it comes with trigger warnings for uh, child abuse and suicidal ideation and self-harm and a lot of um, things. Uh, and so uh, it's really, it is rough reading. But because it's so, her writing is like so spare and sparse, it reminded me a lot of Maggie Nelson. Like yeah. she's packing a lot of punch into very few words. And she's not like detailing a lot of things but you you know, you're sort of reading between the lines a lot of the time. It's almost like poetic in away. Um, it's really beautifully written. It's a hard read, but a really interesting one. And I'm really glad that I read it. Um, but yeah, she's, um, she's a native American, um, and grew up on the Seabird Island, um, Indian reservation. And like her story is that she, you know, lost one of her children in a court battle. Um, She herself spent time in foster care. She went on to have more children. Very troubled relationships with men because of the abuse she experienced as a child. Like, there's a lot going on here, Um, and you know, dealing with mental illness, and it's just, it's just a lot. Mm. Um, And but it was, I thought it was really, really good. So yeah, so that was Heart Berries by Therese Marie Myatt. Do recommend. Um, let's see. Oh, in exciting news, uh, our giveaway for the mystery books that we're doing this month is still going. You have until 5-9, May 9th. Um, and there are 15 and they are all, uh, diverse voices. There are folks of color, there are LGBTQ mysteries in here. It's a really amazing list. Um, And you can enter and see the list at bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway. You should definitely go and do that. Uh, Okay, so how this show works. It is a reading recommendation show, like we said, which means that people send us questions about what they should read next, or what they should pick for their book club, or what they should use in the classroom, or what to give to your mom, or or, or. lots of options. Uh, So if you have a book shaped hole in your life um, we will help you find a book to fill it you can send us questions either via email it's getbooked at bookriot.com you can pop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes that's on the site Um, if you have a time sensitive question please do mention that either in the very first line of the form or the subject line of the email And give us a date by which you hope to have the answer and we will do our best. If we think we're not going to get to a question in time or it's a question we've had a few versions of already, we might email you a response so that you don't have to wait. Um, And so you can keep an eye out for those as well. All right. So I'm going to read the first question and then do our first sponsor. I'm just It's the Gen (laughs) Show. The top of the show is the Gen Show today. All right. Our first question is from Morgan, who says, I'm looking for a good book for my boyfriend. He's never really enjoyed reading, but is trying to change that, particularly because his sister and I just gush over books every time we're around each other, and I think he wants in on the fun. He's mentioned that he might be interested in something like Stephen King, but the size of the books are too intimidating. I think he would particularly enjoy mysteries or thrillers, but any genre is welcome. The most important thing is that the books are not too long and they're easy to get through, so no complicated structures or long lists of characters. All right. Well, before we dive into that one our first sponsor is Summer Constellations by Alicia Savigny. Uh, it is from KCP Loft and uh, it is about Julia whose mother announces that she might be selling the family's campground to a real estate developer which crushes Julia because this is part of her childhood um, a really important part of her childhood and then she finds an unlikely ally in the developer's son Nick who wants to help her family raise the money they need to keep the campground running but Julia is not sure if she can trust him to conspire against his own father Um, and maybe she's also falling a little bit in love with him so should she trust him with her heart so this is a uh, story about Summer's possibilities Um, it's got a strong female protagonist it's a summer romance uh, and you will both fall in love with Nick the love interest but also feel for Julia as she tries to figure out what it means to grow up and maybe leave home Um, and if you like outdoorsy things this is definitely a a book that will scratch that itch, and the author is a former literary agent, which I always think is interesting. Reading books by people who were like previously editors or agents to see how they approach storytelling—it's usually about the same, but you know, it's—I just think it's an interesting thing. So that's Summer Constellations by Alicia Seventy. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right, so Amanda, what do you have for our reluctant reader who maybe wants a mystery or thrill? Okay,
0: I went with the other author whose brain I am frightened of. Other than Stephen King, <laughs> and that's Gillian Flynn. So I picked Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn, which the trailer for the adaptation, um, which stars Amy Adams, just dropped. Uh, I don't. I think it's HBO. Maybe don't hold me to that. Anyway, Amy Adams is in the adaptation. That's all you need to know. So Sharp Objects is a shorter than Stephen King novel uh, thriller about a woman named Camille who is a reporter at like a small newspaper. And she gets a assignment to go back to her hometown hometown and cover the murders of two young girls who were like preteens. Um, she doesn't want to <laughs> go back because she has a terrible relationship with her mom and her mom's husband. And her stepsister—they um, hardly—they hardly speak. Camille hardly speaks to her mother. Her mother's like a hypochondriac; um, she barely knows her half sister, who, uh, who is thirteen. Um, but she needs to keep her job. Camille has a lot of personal problems. Uh, She's got a drinking problem. She does. There's self harm, um, and so she goes home and she stays in her family's like huge Victorian mansion because her family is like a founding family of this little town. Um, And she starts kind of digging, trying to both deal with her family, who she does not get along with, and, you know, complete her assignment. So she starts digging into the backgrounds of these two girls and trying to find out what happened, if there is, um, you know, there's a lot of theories uh, that, uh, like, a, what do you call it, a drifter came into town and killed them. Maybe it was a local person. Nobody really knows. And so she's dealing with, like, her own demons and her own family and her own psychological um, damage, while at the same time... The closer she gets to the truth about what happened to these girls, the, like... The, the worse it all gets. And then it comes to, you know, this big climax that is very twisty and weird and creepy in, in very traditional Gillian Flynn kind of fashion. Um, so I think it's got a lot of the markers of a good Stephen King book, uh, which you said that he would be probably most interested in if it weren't for the length, in as much as, like, humans are the real monsters. Just hands. Uh, and and it's, 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 cre- it's creepy. Like, it's just creepy. And you will never... I can't... Man... I, I want to, like, warn you about what you're going to be scared of after, but if I do that, it's going to spoil it, so I'm not going to. But you will be scared of some stuff that you're probably not usually scared of right now uh, after you read this. So that Sharp Objects by Gillian
1: Flynn. I think that was the darkest use of jazz hands we've ever <laughs> 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 You'll be scared of everything. Happy, happy, happy <laughs> fun times. Um yeah, I went more towards the supernatural horror end of Stephen King. Um, and I'm picked Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant, who was also known as Shauna McGuire. Um, and I picked this one because it's not like the shortest book. I guess it clocks in around 400 pages, which sounds long, but this book reads really quickly. Like in my memory, it is a fast. Read because the pacing and the characters just suck you right in. Um, It is about... Oh, get it? Suck you right (laughs) into the (laughs) I did not intend it, but I'll go with it. Um, So this is about a crew of scientists and documentary filmmakers who set off to the Mariana Trench. um, And they are actually the second expedition to go to the trench. And the first one, seven years prior, was lost, like all hands lost at sea. And a little bit of Footage made it back and they had been there to film a mockumentary about mermaids, but the footage makes it look like they really did encounter mermaids. And nobody knows what actually happened. So seven years have gone, they've the company that sent the original one is like has like, you know, spent time in court and like lost money, and but they still really want to know what happened to the previous crew, so they put a new crew together, they send them out to the same spot. And one of the people on the crew is the sister of someone who died in the first mission. So she's basically there to, like, both because she believes that mermaids are real and that they're scary and, like, killed her sister. And um, so she's, like, there both for sort of, you know, vengeance slash family resolution stuff and because she thinks, like, she really does care about the science of this. Um, And there's a bunch of other characters. You get to meet one of the, like, the personality who's um, sort of, you know the on-screen voice of the documentary. Um, there's some big game hunters who signed up on the chance that they'll get to shoot a mermaid. Like there's there's other scientists. There's all kinds of different characters. And um, they're all really engaging and interesting. It's a really fascinating sort of cross-section of like who, like if you think like who would go on a mission to, pute- to find or, like, disprove mermaids. Like, who would, like, possibly killer mermaids? Who would go on that <laughs> boat? Like, that's what Mira Grant was thinking about, and that's who she put on the boat. And it's really, it does get bloody and gory, but I wasn't, like like nightmare terrifying for me and I'm a little bit of a wuss. So I think most people will be okay. Um, but I'm definitely not going anywhere near the Mariana <laughs> trench. And like, I definitely like will not go into deep ocean water anyway, because I saw Jaws at a formative age. which like, just adds to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, like there are scary things in there is all I'm saying. Um, But yeah, it's fun. There's a lot of great characters. It does like have that supernatural horror tinge to it. Um, But it's not nearly I don't think as as intimidating as some of Stephen King's works. And there's it's the first in a series. So there's more where that came from. And Mira Grant has a bunch of other series. So if this like if the writing style appeals to your boyfriend, I think there's a lot more where that came from. So that's Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. Okay,
0: question to you is from Tracy, who says, I'm traveling to Greece with my mom, who is newly divorced after 40 years. She is working on being independent and finding herself. I'm looking for books about mother-daughter relationships, independent women, and any stories about Greece in general that might help me appreciate the country when we're there in July. I'm not into religion, YA, or love stories. Bonus for strong female main characters. TBR includes have mother will travel. Okay, I took this one to the contributors because I was having trouble with the Greece part of it and our contributor Tasha recommended I think this is perfect it's called 100 places in Greece every woman should go by Amanda Summer. Amanda Summer is a travel writer and so this is a collection of of essays it's 100 essays and they are both travel guides and um, like histories of female gods goddesses people from history artists uh, from Greek life and culture so it mixes all those things together and the places that she that she picks for you to go obviously in Greece are places that may or may not have some sort of like feminist or female associated historical purpose or historical you know point um, but she does weave in other women who have gone or um, you know famous, Writers and and artists who have maybe painted that spot or you know things like that. So she talks a lot about you know the the stuff that you would expect to see in a travel guide. Degrees you know like Athens and um, that kind of and Corinth and all of those sorts of things. But she, and the river Styx, which. You can float down, so that's interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's historical stuff in in the in uh, some of the essays about like women's underwear, the ancient temple in Corinth, and how it was tied to the city's prostitution ring, and just the uh, cult, the religious cult on Lesbos. Like all of this, um, not it's not. I wouldn't call them off the beaten trail sort of things because these are very well known tourist destinations. A lot of them, but. Um, but she, she talks about them with this twist of, like, here are the strong women who shaped or lived or have commented on this place uh, since it became kind of famous and why you, as a woman, should go see it. So I think that, you know, all of those things combined um, make this a really good pick as a guide for you going there with your mom, especially at the time of life that she's in right now. So that's 100 Places in Greece, Every Woman Should Go by Amanda Summer
1: nice that sounds so interesting Mm -hmm. Um, I have recommended this before but really is perfect for this kind of question I picked Traveling with Pomegranates by Sue Monk Kidd and Ann Kidd Taylor it is literally a mother story about a trip (laughs) to Greece it's a memoir Um, Sue Monk Kidd is the author of The Secret Life of Bees and other novels like that but this is her memoir of traveling with her daughter um, two different times really so what her daughter sort of struggled to find her way in life and they went to greece together and like had you know some mother-daughter time and then years later they did the trip again um and it's sort of about how their lives have shifted away from each other and then back together how their own lives have changed and you get this beautiful sort of you know travel memoir on top of it of their experiences um in greece and france and um You said you weren't interested in religion, and this, while I wouldn't call it religious, there is a spiritual component here, because Sue Monk Kid is contemplating sort of, like, feminine energy and, like, the sacred feminine as an idea, Um, but I don't think it's so much. Hopefully, that won't bug you, um, but if it does, like, you can just kind of skim those bits, Um, but they go to these different sacred sites, and they think about, like, you know, their lives and their relationship with each other, and it's just a really lovely mother-daughter story, um, and i I just thought I like this is the book that like if my mom and I were gonna go travel, like we would read this together and talk about it as we went. Like that's what I would do with this book. So that is Traveling with Pomegranates um, by Sue Monk Kidd and Anne Kidd Taylor. All right. Next question is from Elise, who says, I'm just about to finish grad school, and we will be starting an internship in NYC in September on my 30th birthday. I would love to spend the summer reading books set in NYC to give me a feel for the city and some history and to help me make a list of things to do and see there. I'd prefer fiction, but I'm fine with nonfiction. I just finished The Gollum and the Ginny and loved it. Can't remember any other book I read set in NYC. (laughs) All right. Uh, What do you got, Amanda? Speaking of golems."
0: <laughs> I'm on a I'm on like a segue thing today. Uh, I picked The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, which is basically a love letter to New York from the 30s to the 50s, I'd say. Um, it actually doesn't entirely take place in New York. There are some bits in Prague and some bits in Alaska, but it is mostly about New York City. Um, so the main character's name is Joe, He uh, lives in Prague and is a young Jewish artist. His family has bought his way out of Prague because of the Nazi threat, and they're trying to get him to New York City to safety. Um, And he, the Nazis, as was common in that time, took his money, refused to give him the papers that he needed to leave. So he is, him and his teacher, who is like this Houdini kind of figure, figure out a way to smuggle him out of Prague to New York City. And they do so by putting him in a box um, with Prague's golem that is being shipped out of the country. So he does that, so he's like in this box for forever, <clears throat> escaping this threat. And he lands in New York City in uh, Brooklyn, where his cousin Sammy lives. And they, the two of them become partners and business partners and like best friends. And they, uh, Sammy convinces Joe that they need to work together to create comic books, that this is the newest thing that's hitting American pop culture. And Joe, with his like Houdini skills, has enough of an intel, like a, 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 a what, do you, what am I supposed to say? A, a creative background to come up with superheroes that will speak to the american imagination at this moment where you know world war ii is starting to break out so they create the escapist who is of course based on his like houdini kind of skills um they uh, create a couple of different other superheroes and then you you essentially follow these two men over a period of several years as they become really famous in the comic book world and in you know the world in general and then like through the war and it's male friendship and family. And uh, there it is lacking in female characters. There is one. And for such an epic mm-hmm. story, um, that is a, a thing that you will probably notice. I feel like if you're listening to this show, you're probably going to notice. I love the book in spite of that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. all your faves are problematic. It's cool. Um, I mean, it's not cool, but you know, whatever. But it's still such a good story. Shapin uh, is a great, he's just a great writer. And this was the first book that I ever read um that was like contemporary fiction when i cuz you know i only read the classics for most of my reading life up until the last like five or six years and this was the first like work of modern literature that i read coming out of my background of classics and was like oh this is what people who are living now are writing i'm into this you know and it like very much changed the course of my reading life plus it's just it's so new yorky like everything is in new york and it it's mm-hmm. it's just um it, it feels like new york even now um which of course you know this is 70 years later i don't even know how to explain it it has just that tone and that kind of vibe um and is really yeah a love letter so yeah that's the amazing adventures of cavalier and clay by michael shaven
1: yeah (laughs) i read that book the first summer after i moved to new york and it definitely worked out very well in terms of like atmosphere yes um Okay, I picked St. Maisie by Jamie Attenberg. I feel like I should disclose I know her personally, but I would recommend this book anyway because it's such a good New York book. Um, it's set during the Jazz Age and um, so like, you know, prohibition and like depression and all of that stuff is like looming um, and it is about a woman named Maisie Phillips who works at a theater called the Venice, which was like a very like famous sort of theater in the Bowery um, and she She is, you know, she's like a lone lady. She's got she has relationships with men, but she's not married. She's single. She's got a sister who's married and she kind of, you know, the sisters like have a lot of history together, but don't really understand each other. So you get some of that family stuff in there. Um, And she is working at this theater when the depression hits, and now there are all of these, like, you know, homeless folks and addicts, like, sleeping on the sidewalks in the Bowery. Um, And she's, you know, she, like, likes a drink, and she likes to, you know, her male companionship and everything, but she finds herself sort of becoming like a benefactor to a lot of the people who are very down on their luck in the Lower East Side Um, and gets this nickname, St. Maisie. And it's a really cool sort of look at like a very specific neighborhood at a very specific time, and Attenberg did a ton of research around this, and I think you can tell because it really, like, digs into that, like, like block by block almost. Like, if you went and walked around the Lower East Side, like, you would, some of that stuff would be there. Um, so, of course, a lot of it has since been torn down or whatever, but, you know, still. And then there's this sort of meta-framing because um, the conceit of the book is that Maisie has... keeping a diary um and then there's this documentarian years and years and years later like 90 years later who's um trying to like you know get it published and so you get this sort of modern perspective within the book on this this history of new york um and i really i really enjoyed it so much and it was actually inspired by um a real woman who was profiled in a classic of New York literature up in the old hotel. So if you did a side-by-side read of that, that would also be really fun and interesting. Yeah, so that's St. Maisie by Jamie Attenberg.
0: All right, question four is from Lauren, who says, A Friend Recommended, A Secret History by Donna Tartt, and it changed my life. What other books can I read about an outsider joining a friend group that has deep secrets, secrets that might involve the occult or murder, secrets that ultimately make or break the group, and the narrator? I also enjoyed Bittersweet by Miranda Beverly Whittemore and The Anatomy of Dreams by Chloe Benjamin. Okay, I picked If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio, which is also about a group of friends in a snooty college studying things (laughs) no one needs until one of them dies. So there's a lot of parallels. Um, This one takes place in a... its called Delacher is the name of the school. It's a classical conservatory. And as in The Secret History, this is not a real school. Um, It's in the Midwest and is a very fiercely competitive art school um, where the classes study, like, choral singing and visual arts and there's a acting or a theater section but the theater section only does Shakespeare ever so the seven kids who you're following well kids you know quote uh, seven college students who you're following in this book are the Shakespeare troupe it's their last year of school um, and they have become super super close over the four years that they've been in college um, all of them have these you know kind of set roles in their group like one of them is the villain and one of them is the temptress and one of them is the ingenue and all of this kind of thing um and they've set themselves into these roles both on and off the stage and then in the fourth year all of that gets turned upside down and one of them dies uh and you know this like just like in the secret history you know this from the beginning the narrator is one of the the kids from this group and he is in jail um and it's ten years after the events of the novel, and so you're really sitting with him as he tells the story of what happened to this group of friends, how their obsession with Shakespeare and tragedy and drama and interpersonal drama um, really coalesced into this final act of violence. And looking back, he realizes like how he was manipulated and how all the other um, mem- all of his other friends were manipulated. And he's like telling the story to a police officer who has also become obsessed with the case. Um, there's actually a uh, I, I don't know if this is a reference to the secret history in the book, but one of the schools at Delacour is like the language academy where they only study Greek and Latin. And there's a line in the book about how like those weird students only talk to each other in Greek and one of them is probably a murderer. And like, I'm pretty sure that that is uh, like a, wi- a, nod, a wink yeah. and a nod to the secret history. Um, but it has, you know, a lot of obvious parallels. It's very claustrophobic. Um, and in the same way that the secret history is like, she weaves the Latin and the Greek myths throughout uh in if we were villains it is i would like 10 percent of the text probably maybe even a little bit more is shakespeare like actual italicized quotes from plays they talk to each other in shakespeare um a lot of the time uh but it's I, I don't even i don't know anything about this author but she's got to be like some kind of shakespeare scholar because she pulls the most obscure lines from the most obscure plays to weave into their dialogue it's just very impressive uh, but it's such a it's it's so fast-paced and such a, a, a mystery because unlike, well, is it unlike The Secret History? I don't remember if she tells you who dies at the very beginning of that one. I don't think so. Yeah, you know who's dead. You don't right. know how it happened. how it happened, yeah. So unlike The Secret History, you don't know who's going to die in this one. Like, that is the thing you're trying to solve. You can, and she tells the story in such a way that you think it's one person when it's really somebody else. Um, and the reason why that person dies is not what you're expecting. Like, it's just really well done. So, yeah. So that's If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio.
1: I am giving you one from my TBR po- pile, and you'll understand why I'm so excited to read it um, when I tell you more about it. But also, I just wanted to mention um, one of our contributors recently did a post about books like The Secret History, so I'm going to pop that link in here. Um, and the one I picked is Long Black Veil by Jennifer Finney Boylan, which is a sort of 2 timeline um, story. There's the incident, which happened in 1980, and then 20 years later, there's like the, the current Current situation, um, and it is a group of like college friends. Um, they decide um, just before two of them are getting married, they decide to break into the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, which is where I live. So that's why I, one of the reasons I want to read this. Um, so like obviously a bad idea to break into like a historic penitentiary. Like it's not currently in use, but it is a super creepy place. Um, but they're gonna break in because of course they are, um, and. And one of them goes missing. And then 20 years later, some other person finds the bones of the one who – from the group who went missing. And so now everything is sort of dredged up and, like – like what happened and who did it and all of that stuff Um, and this is one of those very character driven mysteries much like the secret history which is I think why the comparison works like it's very much about the personalities involved in this group and like how those group dynamics could have become so twisted as to like one of them goes missing quote unquote and like why and what happened and all of that stuff Um, and also one of the characters lives is very very different from when this happened and so that you're like starting to uncover what that is about as well so there's a lot of like twists and turns in terms of both character and the actual plot um and I like those kind of multi-layered stories a whole lot um and I think that um I think that like trial stories are interesting and this is a trial story. Like they're having to testify against each other. And I also like it's set in Philadelphia. So I like, (laughs) there's so many reasons I need to read this book. Um, And I feel like it would definitely work for what you are looking for also. So that is long black veil, excuse me, long black veil by Jennifer Finney Boylan. Okay. Our second sponsor is a book. Shocker. I know you're all shocked.
0: (laughs) Contain your surprise. Uh, It's the theory of happily ever after by Kristen Billerbeck which is from Rebel Books, which is a division of Baker Publishing. And the main character here is Dr. Maggie McGuire. And to her, happiness is very serious. Serious science, that is, chin hands. Uh, because she is, in fact, a scientist. But, you know, science is not offering an explanation for everything that's going wrong in her life, including being dumped by her fiancé and her reaction to it, which is much more emotional than she expected. And she is, like, on a full-on ice cream chick flick on the couch kind of binge. Um, So her friends are, are concerned about how she's sort of spiraling out of control after this breakup. So they book her as a speaker on a new year, new you cruise, thinking that, you know, You have to focus on how to improve other people's lives, which will help get you out of the funk. And of course, she's wondering if she's qualified to teach other people about happiness anymore, despite it being her area of science. But then a handsome stranger on board insists to Maggie that smart women will never be happy, and she sets out to prove him wrong. And of course, along the way, she may discover that happiness is more to do with your heart as opposed to your head, or maybe a nice combination of both. You got to read it to find out. So that is The Theory of
1: Happily Ever After by Kristen Billerbeck. Thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Our next question is from Camille D. Who says, last year I read After Her by Joyce Maynard and loved it. I was haunted by the story of two sisters who lure a serial killer in the hopes of helping their dad, detective uh, or sheriff. I don't remember. Who is slowly unraveling under the strain of solving the case. Uh, Let's see. The beautiful portrayal of the sister's relationship. The super interesting serial killer facet. And the vivid North Carolina... California setting. Helped make this book one of my favorites of last year. I'm looking for a read-alike. The closest I've gotten is Descent by Tim Johnston, which was good, but I need more. So a literary novel with some sort of murder mystery, but also a strong bond between siblings is what I desire. Extra points for Vivid Setting. I've already read Attica Locke, by the way, and she is everything. Correct. She is everything. Um, I'm just going to keep talking. I picked The Secret History of Las Vegas by Chris Abani for this. Because when I think about sort of literary-ish novels meaning like they're much more focused on the writing style potentially or th- or there's a strong writing style as well as a strong plot um This book definitely comes to mind. It is set in Las Vegas, as you might imagine, (laughs) and it is very setting immersive. Like, you really do feel like you're there. But what's interesting about this book is that you spend a decent amount of time sort of outside of Vegas proper, which is not something I remember a lot of Vegas focused books doing. Um, There is a detective named Salazar who is trying to solve a recent spate of murders, and he like stumbles across a a pair of conjoined twins who are part of a circus um and they have a container of blood near their car and like are not able to adequately explain why there is a container of blood near their car <laughs> always be
0: able to adequately explain the blood I mean you,
1: like if you're going to carry around a container of blood you should be able to explain it I'm just saying so he arrests these conjoined twins and um they're not talking. And so he brings in a uh, doctor named Sunil Singh, who is originally from South Africa, who stu- who specializes in the study of psychopaths. And so what you're getting is sort of Salazar, like, trying to figure out if he's actually apprehended the killers. Um, and Dr. Singh trying to, like, get the twins to talk to him. And they are really not interested in talking to him. Um, and then you start to find out about Singh's background, which is very intense tense. Um, And he also is having a relationship with a prostitute named Asia. And then there is like an assassin and there's a lot going on. There's so much going on in this book, like so much. And it's not... How do I want to say this? Like it is... Not unproblematic in that, like, these characters are kind of terrible people part of the time. But they're also, like, you also see how they got to who they are. And, like, nobody is excused from their behavior. But, like, you see some explanations. Um, And then there's, like, the whole murder mystery part of it. There's a the whole circus part of it. And the bond between the brothers is really interesting. And it evolves in a kind of fascinating way. And I had never read a book about conjoined twins before. I have no idea like how realistic this portrayal is. Um so I should caveat with that. But I, it was like fascinating. Like the whole book is just a fascinating weird like dark jigsaw puzzle of a plot. Um and yeah, I think you will find I think you will get sucked into it. Whether or not it's exactly what you're looking for, I'm not sure, but I think it is worth your time. Uh, So that is The Secret History of Las Vegas by Chris Abani. Okay,
0: my pick for you is Dead Letters by Kate Dolan leach And um, this is about a broken bond between sisters, uh, twin sisters, Ava and Zelda, who are born to parents who live in the Finger Lakes of New York and um, own and operate a very mediocre winery. So they grow up in that environment. Their parents are very manipulative and have substance abuse issues. Eventually they divorce um, and Ava and Zelda kind of latch onto each other as a way of, you know, surviving their really difficult home life. Uh, And then Zelda betrays Ava in a really, really big way, and Ava flees. She runs off to Paris, where she does not speak to her sister for two or three years, I think, when the book opens. Um, And Zelda is left on the winery caring for her mother, who is an alcoholic who also has early-onset dementia, so she is just, you know, a holy horror to deal with, and Zelda feels very abandoned by Ava, despite the fact that she really did kind of drive her away. But then when the book opens, Ava gets a note, um, or is it a call? I don't remember, from her mother that the barn on the property is burned down. It was locked, and Zelda was inside and is now dead. So Ava comes back immediately, uh, goes home, and starts poking around her sister's trailer because she refused to live in the house and around the house, and starts getting the feeling that Zelda was not in that barn, that her mother, you know, in some kind of drunken hallucination or... Um, period of dementia, maybe imagined it. The barn did burn down, but she doesn't think that Zelda was in it. And she starts getting clues, emails, text messages um, that are signed from Zelda. She's leading her on this kind of bizarre scavenger hunt to both both like as vengeance for having left her, but also as a way to explain her the things that she did to betray Ava um, and to kind of make it up for her, make it up to her. So you're, you're watching them in this really truly bizarre way work out their family drama um despite the fact that Zelda is gone and or dead you, you question mark and that is the mystery that you're you're trying to really get to the bottom of is whether she arranged this elaborate staged thing to bring Ava home so she could work out her issues with her or whether she is actually dead and like died in a a time where she was scheduling all these emails and texts to go out uh to ava for some reason so you you know you're poking at it so trying to find out what happened and the relationship is so odd <laughs> these twins because it's not just that they're twins and are close because of that but also because of their parents um and trying to keep their winery going when it, it's you know floundering and all of those sorts of things so lots of family drama so that's dead letters by kate dolan leach is it me mm-hmm. okay Question six is from W, who says, I'm starting a Think Deeper book club, and I need a book to recommend for our readers. I have a little bit of a weird request. We just saw the play Hand to God, which is a puppet play set in a church, and I'm looking for a book about the creepier side of the evangelical Christian community and church. Several of us were raised Christian in the Deep South and respect people's rights to believe what they want, but as ex-Christians, we're fascinated with evangelicals who engage in the more magical and performative acts, being possessed by the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, camping in tent cities, et I also recently saw the documentary Jesus Camp, and it fueled my interest even more. I would really like to read more about these kinds of communities, double points for creepiness and or magical realism or fantasy." Okay, I picked a YA novel that doesn't have magical realism or fantasy, but it is pretty creepy, uh, and that is The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner. And this one takes place in Tennessee, and you're following three kids, Dill, Travis, and Lydia, who are in their senior year of high school and are both kind of, you know, are all three coasting <laughs> until they can get out and leave this small town in Tennessee, or not leave, depending on their personal circumstances. Dill is, you know, the like the main... Kid, whose perspective you're you're getting the story through, and he has uh, he grew up the son of an evangelical Pentecostal minister who was the head of a church handling, um, or snake handling church. Church handling church—that's not a thing. (laughs) Snake handling church, uh, which is a one of the more kind of you know air quotesy magical aspects of really fringe Pentecostal evangelical Christian communities where they think that they are given this power by God to resist serpent venom essentially um and so he's raised by this pentecostal snake handler who is now in jail and i won't tell you what he's in jail for it doesn't have anything to do with snakes or church handling which is apparently a thing i've invented but (laughs) so dill's dad is in jail and now he is dealing with his mother who blames dill for his for his father's incarceration and is just waiting for dill to get out of high school so he can get a job and help her pay the bills like this is all she wants for him he however is a musician really wants to get out of tennessee away from his family past and go, um, you know, like start a new life for himself where there no one calls him the serpent king and like there aren't any whispers about his family and their weird culty church or any of that sort of thing. Um, And Lydia is kind of the foil to him in this book. She's a fashion blogger who is also just trying to get out of Tennessee, um, but she actually is going to do it. Like she has a supportive family. Her fashion blog is really popular. She's going to uh, fashion school, I think, in New York um, and is, you know, Biding her time to get out. And then their friend Travis is like this really sweet kid who's obsessed with like fan fiction and fantasy novels and um, wears all black and like has a cape and walks around with the wooden staff because he thinks he's kind of like Gandalf. It's great. They're all great characters. Um, But this, this like thing of, being the son of a snake handling preacher really hangs over the entire story and the really dramatic and very sad events that come later in the book. This is one of these books where like a thing happens in the book that's so upsetting that I like DM'd the author (laughs) on Twitter, you know, and was like, how dare you? (laughs) Which apparently he said he got a lot. So gird your loins for that. You're going to want to send an email after you read it. Um, But it's great. It has a lot of, and it's a great book club pick. It's got a lot to pick apart and think about. So that's *The Serpent King* by Jeff Zentner.
1: So I kind of went down a side road with this question. I don't have a Protestant Christian book for you. Instead, I want to recommend *Purple Hibiscus* by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, She. Like, side note regarding problematic faves. She has said some problematic things regarding trans women, um, so you might want to consider that when you're thinking about whether or not to pick up this book. Um, But this is her debut novel, and I think it really digs into not just, like, what it is like, what it looks like when, you know, fundamental Christianity is a thing for a family, but like what the inside of that family experience is like. Um, And uh, it is about a young girl named Kambili who um, lives in Nigeria and her father is very wealthy and an upstanding member of the community and very Catholic, like obsessively Religious, um, and her home life is terrible. Uh, this book comes, I, I'm gonna, I am gonna talk about it for a minute. So if you are triggered by descriptions of domestic violence, you might want to forward ahead a little bit. Um, but he is. Uh, abusive to his family he's got a wife and then there's Kimberly and then her brother Jaja Um, and he like it's really rough watching how he controls this family Um, and despite being 15 she is so sheltered that she just kind of like for her this is is what her life is like Um, and the first time she ever realizes that there's another way to live is when she gets sent um, she and her brother are sent to stay with their aunt, who's a university professor and has a bunch of children, and lives like a very sort of like normal, mundane life. They don't really have quite enough money, and um, they're kind of struggling with certain financial things, but they have a lot of joy and laughter in their lives, and you know, the kids talk back, and they have family arguments, and like, they just, like, Humbly is just like, I don't, like, she literally cannot process how they relate to each other. Um, and this is sort of the first time that she understands that Like, maybe there's something wrong about the way that they live. Um, And uh, also what's happening is that Nigeria is um, having a military coup. And her father, one of the things that he does is run, he's a publisher of the local paper, a local paper. And he allows his staff to run, like, really politically... Accurate, but also inflammatory under censorship rules, um, you know, editorials and is constantly having to, like, get his editor, his lead editor out of jail, you know, for being put there by the powers that be for speaking the truth. Um, And he also, you know, funds a lot of good works in the community. And you see this really complicated portrait of, like, how do you reconcile the parts of a person that are you know important and generous and upstanding and then how do you reconcile the monstrous parts of that person's life and like how do you live how do you live like how do you make a life for yourself when you're under the thumb of that kind of person um so it's it's just really powerful and incredibly complex emotionally um and, yeah, I just, I think it's, I think so often, you know, with these, like, depictions of evangelical and 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 fundamentalist Christianity, you see, like, you know, the snake handling and the, like, Jesus camp, and it's, a, like, a little bit, like, not romanticized. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, dramatized in a certain way? Um, and And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think that it can be a good counter to, like, aside from the, like, shock value to, like, see, like, to really dig into, like, what some of the consequences of obsessive religious behavior might be. How do they overlap with mental illness or domestic violence? Like how, 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 what are all of these things look like when they're mixed together? Uh, So yes. So that's Purple Hibiscus by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And I'm not saying just caveat real quick, so we don't have to DM me. I'm not saying that fundamentalism necessarily equals mental illness. I'm just saying that sometimes there are intersections and this book talks about those. (laughs) Right. <laughs> don't at me. <laughs> no don't at me. I mean, yeah. That's what that's all I'm saying. Okay. Our last question is from Jody, who says, "I would like to get more into science fiction. I've read the old, old Man's War series by John Scalzi and loved it. I tried to read A Long Way to a Small, Angry Planet and couldn't finish it. If you have any fast-paced, action-packed science fiction recommendations, I would really appreciate it." What you got, Amanda? I just, you couldn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I felt kind of the same way.
0: This is the first question we've ever gotten that was like, I did not like the Becky Chambers. Please give me something different, which I, I, love, I kind of love that, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. somebody had an interesting and different reaction to that book than I did. Um, and all of us did. I don't know. Anyway, totally not on topic. My pick for you is Infomocracy by Malka Older. Um, which the third book comes out this year at the end I think in the fall. So it should be complete um pretty soon. But the second book's already out, so you can go read that one if you like the first one. Um, and this is a sci-fi dystopia political adventure, like non-stop action kind of sci-fi novel. So I think that this would be a good um, antidote to a kind of slower, more cozy feeling um sci-fi experience. So in this world. It is our world. It's near future. Um, Information has taken over our political system, which is kind of like a combination of Google and Facebook, almost. It's a search engine monopoly that has pioneered the transition from, you know, every country having their own form of government and going to war with each other and their own economic interests to this kind of global micro-democratic system where every pocket of 100,000 people is its own micro-government. And then um, during an election cycle, Everybody votes, again, for their leaders of their micro-democracy area, but also for the supermajority, which is essentially leaders of the world. Um, and that is what's happening. The book is, is takes place when a supermajority election is occurring. And so all of the characters that you're following have some sort of vested interest in this situation uh ken works for a party the policy first party and he like really you know is drank the kool-aid like he believes in this party and their platform and he's trying to, he works as kind of a mm, like a not a secret agent but an, like an operative he's a political operative very west wingy uh kind of a thing and his he is working to make sure that they get a super majority essentially there's another character who's um i, I don't want to say terrorist i don't know that that's how she would necessarily frame it in the book but who Does not believe in the in the idea of this democratic micro democracy system, and so he's trying to overthrow it. Mishima is an anarchist. Yes, anarchist. Thank you. you. Um, Mishima is my favorite character. She works for information. She is like a secret agent for information. She's like a dangerous lady. Um, And information is such a weird concept in this book because they aren't a political entity. Like they're not working to elect. XYZ party, where they shouldn't be, um, and they're they're like they believe so purely in what they're trying to do, um, but it's also super scary and creepy and weird that what they're doing. As you know, Google and Facebook are scary, creepy, and weird, but I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg fully believes in like the truth and goodness of whatever he thinks Facebook's purpose is. Um, anyway, so all of that is happening, and of course, there's like a big political conspiracy where one party is trying to take over the supermajority in a way that is uh, sketchy. Um, so yeah dystopia lots of tech um there's a lot of like fighting and and spying and game of Thronesy stuff but without the dragons or the supernatural or anything just political intrigue is what i'm saying games of, game of thrones is not synonymous for political intrigue amanda so yeah go read that
1: democracy
0: <laughs> <laughs> by mocha older it's real good
1: I love that book. Isn't it funny how certain shorthand comps just, like, eat your... Yes!
0: (laughs) I have to stop myself from being like, someone tries to take over a government. It is not Game of Thrones. That is not...
1: (laughs) That's not the only example of that. But it is the prevalent moment in society, so I can see how that happens. You know, this question was weirdly hard for me because I was trying to think of science fiction... A, that I haven't already used up my recommendations for. (laughs) B, that has, like, the humor as well as the action and science that the Old Man's War series has. And it was a hard thing, actually, to think of somebody that is doing that exact kind of thing. Um, so I actually have a fantasy recommendation for you. I know you asked for science fiction. I'm not saying it's the same, but I think if the style of that book is what you loved, that you will also like, coincidentally, Older's Brothers series, um, the Bone Street Rumba series. It's by Daniel Jose Older, who is in fact Older's brother. The first book is called Half Resurrection Blues, and it has that very, like, sort of quippy, quick dialogue thing that Scalzi tends to do, um, plus a lot of, like, ghosty, supernatural hijinks. Um, it's set in Brooklyn, and the main character is Carlos de la Cruz, who is... Literally half dead. Like he died and then was partially resurrected. Um, So he's not 100% alive, but he's not dead anymore. So he's this thing they call an in-betweener. And he works for the New York Council of the Dead um, as a like agent. Um, And his job is to deal with like supernatural beasties who are running amok. Um, And he thinks he's the only one. And then he encounters some other entities who are, like, straddling this line between life and death and they're not supposed to be. Um, And there is a sorcerer who's summoning demons who are, like, eating uh, slash destroying the benevolent spirits of Brooklyn, which is not, like, down. They're not cool. Um, And they've also taken out some of the Council of the Dead's other agents. And so Carlos is like, oh, I got to, like he's basically assigned to stop this and he doesn't know how he's going to do it. Um, There is a little bit of a love story in here too. And, and one of the interesting things is that Carlos doesn't remember much about his previous life and so you have a little bit of a personal mystery unwinding at the same time that you have this big like who is trying to mess up the stasis of of the underworld in New York City and it's so good on Brooklyn like having lived in Brooklyn for a little while like these places like you can go there and like stand under the arch that a big battle takes place under and be like oh I bet there are spirits up there, like, I, bet there is, I bet this is a portal to the underworld <laughs> um i was very sucked in by it and there is there is more because it is only the first in a series and yes the three of them are out so it is a complete series so that is a thing that a lot of people like and you can have that uh so that is half resurrection blues which is the first street in the bone street rumba series by daniel jose older and that's our show Woohoo! Thank you so much for listening uh, to our ramblings. <laughs> um, if you would like to leave an, a rating a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps other people to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you so much to today's sponsors. And you can find me on social media on Tumblr. It's JenIRL.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two Ns.
0: Oh, sorry. I'm at. I'm Amanda Nelson, uh, mostly on Instagram. I was thinking about my Instagram account there. Like, I went down a mental rabbit oh. hole it's about Instagram. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm.
1: It's all right. Your Instagram is excellent. There's a lot of like your kids, and then books, and then your your animals. I like Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. No problem. All right. Well, that's enough of our mutual admiration society. We will we will talk to you next time.